Hey guys, welcome back to the Empowered PAs podcast. I'm Courtney, I'm your host. I'm really excited to be back. Um, I am the owner and founder of EmpoweredPAs.com, which is a website supporting the professional growth of PAs and really just helping PAs kind of find your voice. And today's topic might seem a little odd, but I thought because I've been working on this blog post for the last two months, because I, you know, I've kind of collected, I really kind of collected a lot of tips along the way. I've been practicing medicine as a PA for nine years, but then I've actually, when I was a paramedic and an EMT, and I worked a lot of night shifts, and so I've got a lot of experience, I've got about 20 years of experience working a variety of different kinds of night shifts. When I was a 911 dispatcher, I worked for night on night shifts for two years, and that life was different than now, which is that I flip-flop between day shifts and night shifts and mid shifts, honestly. And so I thought it would be a relevant topic because pre-PAs are dealing with night shifts when you do some shadowing a lot of uh, like I shadowed a PA that worked in the ER and so I did a couple night shifts with him and I really had no idea how to manage that uh, outside of the experiences I had already had Um, and so I think for especially for pre-PAs who've never worked a night shift that will be a new experience and then PA students who work clinicals sometimes those ER clinicals can be overnight and so it's just really helpful to kind of like get a sense of like how to how to manage your life when you're working night shifts. Obviously, this is all just based on my experience. Um, and so I just want to kind of throw it out there that if you're, if you're looking at this as like a solution to a problem, this is just my experience. Some of these things will work great for you. Some of these things will probably seem really neurotic, but you'll get to know me. I'm pretty neurotic. <laughs> and so I'm very type A. And I just, you get it to a routine and you find what works for you. This is what works for me after 20 years. Take it or leave it. There's probably one or two things in here that you didn't think of um, unless you've been doing this for a long time. And so if that's the case, you know, I would be I would love to hear from you and hear if any of these things are helpful. So with that said, um, night shifts are funny, right? Like people love night shift or they hate hate night shift. And I am in the camp of, I actually like night shift. I like working night shift. In the ER, um, (laughs) the night shift personality, I always call it, it, especially when it comes to like the staff that works night shift, they're my kind of people, man. They are like usually kind of hardcore, very gritty, uh, sarcastic, you know, they've seen it all, done it all. They're kind of in survival mode a lot of the times because you don't have the same resources in an ER at night that you do during the day. And so I, I love night shift. I love my day shift people too, but it's different. You, and anybody, it's ubiquitous, right? Any ER you go into, the night shifters and the day shifters, it's just a different vibe. So some people hate night shift. And if you're in that camp, I think this will help you too, because you'll figure out a way to just make it work. Um, But I I actually like it. I'm more creative at night. That's just my personality. So I think if you're in either camp, this is actually a pretty good post. Uh, So with that said, so like what kind of PAs will work night shift? So we talked about ERPAs. Um, Honestly, that's when you sign on to being an ERPA, you're basically signing on to knowing that you're going to work night shifts in some capacity. Some groups will have a night shift person dedicated to working night shifts called a nocturnist. Uh, I, then that landscape seems to change all the time. So even when you get hired on and they say, oh, that we have full-time night shift people, that doesn't always work out. Something happens and they need to fill shifts and the ER has to run regardless. And so sometimes you end up working a lot more nights than you signed on for. So if you definitely don't like night shift, 
don't become an ERPA because it's it's in the cards. It's usually what what you do when you're an ERPA. Uh, but with that said, um, there's a lot of flexibility with that role too. So anyway, so a lot uh, ERPAs will work lots of night shifts. Hospital-based PAs tend to work them too, right? So like there's hospitalist PAs, so PAs that work on like a medical or surgical floor that will often um, either it'll be they'll only work night shift or they will work like a string of night shifts and then go back to day shifts. It really just depends on the setup in the hospital. ICU uh, PAs will, will work nights uh, kind of in the same thread. And also some of the specialties like trauma surgery, a lot of the surgical specialties, especially like ortho, uh, neurosurgery, general surgery. Um, and I mean, not, not as much for the others, but if there's an in-house person who is managing a team, they will often have the advanced practice provider or uh, APP, so like an APA or an NP, nurse practitioner, will work the night shift. Uh, and actually, in some hospitals, they are the on-call person in the facility, and the other team members are off campus. So they're the first one to respond, and they're the only ones to respond for a period of time. Uh, in bigger hospitals, um, other medical specialties may also cover the night shift. This is not an exhaustive list, but neurology, cardiology, radiology, um, hemonc, uh, we actually have a hemon hospitalist where I work, uh, and that is sometimes a, an advanced practice provider. Uh, OBGYN, neonatology, really any specialty could potentially have uh, night shift uh, responsibilities. But outpatient PAs also potentially could be uh, working night shifts, and that may look more like call as opposed to actually a shift. But you're still up for potentially 24 hours at a time or just up at three in the morning. And so I think so, in all of those cases, if you're in any of those uh, genres, this may be really helpful. Because <laughs> if you don't, if you're not used to it, there's some things you can really do to just make life better. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you, like, I'll be, I'm like an overshare. And that's why it's kind of dangerous for me to have a podcast. Uh, I overshare way too much. I am cranky on night shifts. Like it's not the night shift I work. It's usually the day or two afterwards. I can't figure out why I'm so short, like emotionally kind of short and a little tired and a little like just fatigued. Um, you know, I have my kids and I just find myself being a little crankier than, than usual. And I, I realized uh, after uh, reflecting that, that it's usually almost dead on related to a night shift. And so that is why this is important to me. That's why I feel like it empowers PAs because you may not realize that, but if your significant other is looking at you and saying, Hey, what's, what's going on with these night shifts? This is, this is maybe one of those things you should look at. Uh, so these things have helped me a lot from that standpoint. When I know to like really focus on my on self care ar around these night shifts, it really reduces my emotional uh, labileness or uh, lability. Uh, also, it will reduce um, just the fatigue that kind of goes along with it. Because I just feel like when I wake up from night shifts, I've been hit by a bus. Because you're sleeping during the day when you're not supposed to be. So. Uh, all right, so let's get into it. Let's get into these tips. So the first two are just relating to sleeping before you go into your night shift, right? So the first tip is get plenty of sleep 48 hours before your night shift. So way back in the day when I was a youngin', um, I actually thought I had to get myself into a night shift to like prepare myself. And of course, this was pre-children. And so I actually could sleep whenever I wanted and wasn't really <laughs> beholden to their schedule. So I thought staying up late the night before or the two days before would get me into it. The reality I have found, and this is just me, but the reality is, is that 
I don't need to get used to getting on to a night shift. I'm a night owl. I like staying up late. That is never a problem for me. And so it's never getting onto the shift. It's almost always getting off of the shift where I struggle. So for me, if I stay up late the first 48 hours beforehand and then 24 hours beforehand, it really messes with my sleep cycles the day of. So what I have found is just get a full night's rest 48 hours beforehand and 24 hours beforehand. And that makes a huge difference for me at the 3 a.m., fatigue. I don't know what it is about night shifts, but at 3 a.m., 4 a.m., that's when I look over and I'm like, I am tired if I'm really tired. So that is better when I get plenty of sleep the 48 hours before the night shift. And then on that thread, my second tip is nap the day of your night shift. So I usually go in at like, it's either 6 6 p.m. or 8 p.m., one of those two time frames. And if I, I'm not a napper, let's, let's back up here a little bit. I, my husband used to tease me incessantly about not being a napper. He would want to nap and I do not like napping, but I have found that taking 20 to 30 minutes to just close my eyes in a quiet, dark room will usually kind of give me enough stamina at the 3am shutdown, right? That made a huge difference for me. And so even if you don't sleep in those 30 minutes, even if all you're doing is closing your eyes and getting off the the phone, getting off the internet, and just not listening to TV or or music or anything, and just getting a little bit of quiet time, that really makes a difference at three in in the morning for me. And that may not work for everyone, but that probably is the thing that I think all of the night shifters, that's what we all do. Because everybody, in my, we have no nocturnists in my department. And so of all the providers, the docs, the PAs, the nurse practitioners, we all tend to try to nap the day of. That seems to be the one thing that everybody holds on to. So if you take nothing, maybe that's the one to take. <laughs> um, also, pro tip, right? If I am a caffeine drinker, actually, and I was thinking about this. I probably should retitle this whole post about <laughs> and title it like how how Courtney doses her caffeine during night shift because there's a lot there's a, a lot of how I manage my caffeine intake before and after and before during and after a night shift but it's really important right like if I know I need to nap and I'm not a napper I am not going to drink the two cups of coffee I usually drink in the morning I usually just stick to one cup take a nap around like noon or one and then when I wake up, that's when I start drinking more coffee. Um, and that makes a big difference. So like if you're thinking of taking a nap, don't pound the coffee. If you're sensitive to caffeine, don't pound the coffee that morning or you will not be able to nap for sure. Uh, all right. So those are my two, my first two tips, right? And then so tip number three is, okay, so this is going to sound like, oh, I know this, but avoid the junk food and eat healthy-ish. So I am not, <laughs> I am not uh, a health nut. I wish I was. I wish I could like focus on just that. But uh, and I'm making better choices by far than I ever have. But also I'm a realist and that sometimes, you know, when you have two screaming children and they're hangry, you stop by fast food and maybe don't make the best choices. I'm not talking about the everyday. This is different. When you are working a night shift, eating crap (laughs) definitely impacts the rest of your day. And what I'm talking about is like, if I eat just cereal for breakfast and don't make sure I get a good protein in during breakfast time and then kind of eat junk food for a snack or something and then I eat fast food for lunch and then I eat maybe another snack or something, whatever, uh, I do not feel well by 3 a.m. That definitely is a recipe for disaster. So 
what I have found is that by making sure that breakfast is protein heavy for me and that lunch is usually very, is, is like whole grain friendly or like something with a lot of nutrients in it, like a salad or fruit or something along those lines that I just feel better. Um, and that's like kind of a no brainer for some people, but that was kind of a revelation for me. So like, maybe I don't make good choices all the time, but definitely right before a night shift, that's the time to make that better choice. Um, and I have found a couple things have helped with that. So one of the things is making sure I take my multivitamin cause I don't always take that. Uh, two is, um, I drink a protein shake that day. Usually if it's a, depending on what time of day, depending on how much volume, sometimes it's more of a snack. So it's a smaller volume protein shake. Sometimes it's my whole meal just really depends on what's going on. Um, or like making a protein smoothie with like almond butter, just something that's just got a lot of nutrition in it and a lot of protein in it that will keep me full. I don't know. It just seems to make a big difference. Um, also meal prepping healthier foods for that shift has helped in terms of like eating healthy. So meal prepping and then having healthier snacks prepped ahead of time to bring to work. So like, like, nuts or like dried fruit or cut up fruit. I actually really like berries, like so like blueberries and strawberries and stuff. Um put it in a little cup and having that ready to go and having that all packed ahead the day of and bringing that with me has made a huge difference. And not that I wouldn't have thought about that before, but when I'm focusing specifically on night shift, that is I've just found that to be a huge make a huge difference for me. And then also um maybe this isn't so healthy, but avoiding junk food means for me bringing, um, I like 85% dark chocolate. I love that stuff. So I will bring a little amount with me and then I always make sure I have coffee and creamer and you know, maybe that's not the healthiest options, but it keeps me from going to the vending machine. So if I make sure I have my coffee, my creamer, and I got a little bit of chocolate, I'm not going to go hit the vending machine and eat a bag of M&Ms, right? Like it just makes, it helps me make better choices. So that's my third tip. Um, avoid the junk food, eat healthy-ish. That doesn't mean you can't have a bag of popcorn at three in the morning. It just means that like plan a little better. And that's, that's helped me. Uh, so my next tip, you're going to find kind of funny. I live in Florida and I work in Florida. And so everybody may think it's always hot, but actually hospitals in general are kind of cold because they have chillers and the chillers are always running, right? Even in the winter time, we sometimes have the AC on because we don't really have a winter time. We have like a time where it's like, 40 degrees outside instead of 90 degrees outside. And so the AC is running pretty much all the time. So it's always kind of chilly in the hospital. But when you're in an ER, especially during the daytime, you're moving around, you're doing a lot of procedures, there's a lot of bodies in the department. And so you don't, I don't, I will wear my, I like wearing my white coat. Um, but I don't feel like I need anything more than that. Like that's plenty to get me through. Where, where it's different on a night shift is that if you didn't know this, um, your natural body temperature can drop about two degrees around 3 a.m. Now, this is usually when we're sleeping. And so for people who are on full-time night shifts, that may have kind of changed based on your own circadian rhythm. But for those of us who are normally sleeping at night and having to be up at night, it still applies. So at 3 a.m., you get this cortisol drop. Suddenly, I get really cold. I get really tired. And a little bit cranky and it hits me really fast. It's like one moment I'm fine. And then the next moment it's like, oh my gosh, what just happened? So one of the ways I have found, and this is my tip, 
is to bring a jacket, right? Like, duh, bring a jacket. So even in Florida, really important. I tried the whole like wear an undershirt, like a long sleeve undershirt. But what I was finding is when I would get into work after consuming a bunch of coffee <laughs> and then starting to run around because the waiting room's full, there's a million procedures to do. There's just a lot to do. And there's more bodies in the department. I get hot. And then I'm like trying to deal with my scrub top and a long sleeve shirt underneath it. And it's really hard to like, you can't take the long sleeve shirt off without going into the bathroom and changing it. So I found just wearing a coat has helped with that in general. Um, but at night, for some reason, I have a very specific, I love this. I have a scrub jacket from my favorite company and full transparency. Metalita is owned by a PA uh, or is founded by a PA. And Laura Francisco is the PA that is the, the one of the owners. And she's amazing. And I love them so much that I became an ambassador because I love them so much. But this jacket probably between this scrub jacket and my white coat, which is the Rebecca white coat, I love their stuff. And so I have found that finding, and you don't have to obviously A, use my links, which are affiliate links. Um, and B, you don't have to buy a jacket. You can use whatever you have if you have like a thinner kind of scrub jacket, but I like this scrub jacket. And let me tell you why, because I used to wear like, it was, a, I don't know if it was Columbia or it's like a micro fleece, but it was too thick. Um, and it was like a pullover instead of a zip down. And so taking it on and off was a pain. The fabric was very, like, it was too thick for Florida. Like in the wintertime it was okay, but in summertime, especially, um, it was just too much. And so I was wearing that and it just, it, it didn't, it didn't suit my needs. And so this, it was the Ionic scrub jacket. I got it from Metalita and was like sold. And that actually is what prompted me to say, all right, I need to buy their, I need to try their lab coat. And then I got one of those and I was like, yeah, that's it. I'm sold on this group uh, or on this company. They're amazing. So with that said, the Ionic scrub jacket, I love because it has a million pockets. The fabric is, um, I don't know if it's like a wicking or dry fit material. It's great. It's comfortable. It has a vent in the back so you don't feel stuffy and I can zip it up for when I'm doing procedures because I don't like having like loose flaps while I'm doing procedures. Um, but it has, I don't know if I said this, it has pockets everywhere. Um, it's just really comfortable. Like the sleeves aren't too long, which is really nice. Um, and their embroideries like spot on. I'm very particular about embroidery. So anyway, I feel like I'm gushing about, <laughs> this is my, I guess I can count this as like, <laughs> this is my advertisement in the middle of a podcast. But really, this is, not, I wish I could say, but this is not supported by them. I just love that jacket. So that's my choice. But if you have a jacket, like just any kind of a uh, relatively thinner kind of stretchy material jacket, that will probably work as well. Or you can wear your white coat, like just make sure you bring it because a lot of PAs in the ER for me don't wear, don't bring a white coat. So that's another thing, have a jacket. I also uh, like to cheat and go get the blankets out of the warmer at 3 a.m. I get two blankets, I put one under my bum and then I wrap the other ones around my shoulders and that usually does it if I forget my jacket, but I try not to do that. So Ionic Scrub Jacket from Metalita. I have a link in this blog post, but bottom line is, is go check it out, it's amazing. Uh, or bring whatever jacket you want, that's my tip. Bring a jacket because that makes a huge difference. Uh, all right, so here's another tip. Um, don't nap during the shift. I'm gonna give you a minute to think about that. Some people are like, why would you do that? And then other people are like, well, of course I would do that. So in some circumstances, like for PAs that are working 24 hour shifts, obviously if you can sleep and you have a call room, that's fine. 
But for me, I work a 12-hour shift or a 10 to 12-hour shift. And if I nap, like sometimes it's so slow. They're like, hey, you can go sleep if you want to, especially if I've been up for 24 hours and didn't get my, my nap in the day before. Hey, you can go sleep. I won't do it. I will say, no, thanks. You do it. I'm, I'm awake. I'm up. Because if I, if I take that five seconds and just close my eyes, I am done for the rest of the shift, especially if another patient comes in and then I'm cranky. It just, it makes me, it makes me more cranky and worse. So I definitely don't nap during my shift uh, and I don't recommend it. Some people do fine. I'm not that person. All right. So another tip is to, this is going to sound kind of silly too, stay on top of your charting. So this is probably only specific to ER people, but like it is so easy to get behind on a night shift with charting because our patient patterns are different, right? Like I walk in and the waiting room's full and the whole department's full and everything's hustling and bustling. And then usually around two to 3 a.m. you get this like lull. But if a code comes in at two or 3 a.m., then you cannot catch up on the last handful of charts. So really being very time, like time management, being very effective with your time, making sure your documentation is done properly. Like what I will do on a night shift that is a little different than during the day shift is I will go in, I will see my patient, I will come back out, I will document my HPI, my review systems, um, and my physical exam in the beginning of my medical decision making immediately before I go see another patient. And that is not a normal ER workflow. Normally you'll see two or three patients sit down, work on those pieces of your chart, and then go see more patients. But I will just try to make sure that that happens because if I don't, five to 10 patients in my charting, I'm behind on my charting. And so that's really hard. And time management's not my biggest strength when it comes to that, but that I have found has made a big difference when it comes to like night shifts. Because when you get that code at three in the morning, it's done. You are basically spending the rest of your shift on with that and you end up getting way behind in your charts. Because at 5 a.m., you do not want to chart. Like it just doesn't happen. Like I have no, even though I have the time and there's no patients in the department or there are only a few patients in the department, I have no motivation anymore. (laughs) So making sure I stay on top of charts, that's a big one. All right, here's another tip. Watch the caffeine intake. All right, so I, this is like one piece of this whole post, but the reality is, is it really is smattered throughout it, right? So before your night shift, watch the caffeine intake. And then during the night shift, how I dose my caffeine is very specific. So I usually will like drink a lot of coffee on my way into work. And then my first probably four or five hours into work, I'll just be, you know, very comfortable drinking whatever amount of coffee I want. And then I usually have a cup around, I don't know, maybe 2 a.m. But then I cut the caffeine off about 4 a.m. Because that's three hours before I'll be in bed. And I find that that works the best for me. Um... Also, that 85% dark chocolate has a little caffeine in it, so I have to make sure that I don't I don't eat that after 4 a.m. Kind of silly, but it has a lot of caffeine in it, and for me, I'm very sensitive. I'm just a big weenie, and I'm trying to just be careful about when I take uh, drink my caffeine. So um, I also use caffeine when I turn around, and we'll talk about that in a minute. All right, so the next tip is after your shift, right? So like we've we've gone into work, we've not napped, I dose my caffeine right. I'm on my way home. I always recommend eating breakfast. It doesn't have to be this huge breakfast, but you should eat something. It can just be, you know, a bagel if that's your thing or, you know, a a breakfast sandwich, something that will just kind of keep you asleep because I have found that if I don't do that, I wake up at, I don't know, one or two because I usually don't eat after three or four in the morning and I'm hungry and that's not okay. So, eat a little bit of breakfast. Doesn't have to be a big breakfast, but a little bit of breakfast. 
I also try to reserve, like I try not to drink a lot of water or anything really after 4 a.m. because also six hours later is a terrible time to have to pee. Like if you have to pee at eight or nine in the morning and you just laid down and just started getting into sleep, it really screws up your day. So trying to like be, be careful with what I, like making sure I eat breakfast, but also limiting fluids is important right about that time. And then when I get home, I make sure, um, I also make sure that my, the place that I sleep is a very dark, cold and quiet place, right? So like night shifters are so funny. They will always boast about how they cave out their bedroom. It's hilarious. Like they'll be like, oh, well I got, you know, I got the, the pull down, um, pull down shade and the blackout curtains and this is the best brand and like everybody's really funny about that I have the brands that I like and like I'll share them there are, there's links all over the blog but the bottom line is just find one that works um so the first thing in this is so this tip is actually titled sleep in a cold dark quiet place okay so let's talk about cold right cranking the AC down blasting the fan on high and then having like my big duvet, that is like tip number one in this little, in this tip. Like I've got to do that. If I'm not, that's my jam. That's what keeps me asleep. Uh, so getting it cold and then sleeping under a heavy blanket is like, it's, that's what keeps me asleep. So the second part of getting it dark. And so that is where it comes into like, I'm not kidding when I say that <laughs> night shifters are really funny about it. Even when I was working uh, my ER shift when I was a PA student, I remember having the conversation with other PAs and they were like, oh, this is what, cause they were full-time night shifters. Like, this is what I do. And they would give me their whole layout. Uh, some people will like put aluminum foil in their windows, you know, do what you gotta do. I actually have found, and I'll just say this, I have found, this sounds kind of um, a little trashy, but I found that if I go to like Home Depot or Lowe's at like some home improvement store and buy, they have this like foil backed um, insulation foam board. You can cut it pretty easily with a, a knife and get it to fit your window exactly just where it like snugly fits. So like when you push it in, it stays. Or if you have uh, like curtain, not curtains, um, uh, blinds, you can put it even under the blinds. That works the best for me. That is like super, super dark. And then on top of that, I like to put blackout curtains. So the combo of the, the foam board and the blackout curtains tends to make the biggest difference for me. Uh, also there's like pull down shades that some people use. And then these, and then people, people really like sleep masks. Um, they're, I don't like them because they touch my, my eyelashes. So it drives me a little bit crazy. So there's actually a, a kind of sleep mask that have like cups and I have a link in the blog, but they're, they're more comfortable and they don't smush your eyelashes. And for me, that drives me crazy. And so that is, if you're going to use a sleep mask, cause that's a great way to make sure it's dark. Um, that would be one, one other option for you. So getting it dark, super important. There's actually some studies that show that having any little cracks of light will wake you up. So, and that's when you're not in the middle of the day trying to sleep. So making it as dark as possible is important. And then cutting the noise down. So, so I distinctly remember when I was a 911 dispatcher coming home from a night shift and I was in college at the time. And so I was also like going to like lab, my anatomy lab was during the day. And so I would be up for a long time. So I finally get home, finally lay down and have like an eight o'clock class. So I'd work my night shift. I go to my eight o'clock class and the lab and then like get home like 10, 11 and then I lay down and then the landscapers in the condo I was living at would start trimming the bushes right outside my bedroom window and I almost lost it. 
So I was like, this is the worst ever. And so there are a bunch of things you can do to cut the noise down. One is not live in a condo that has, or at least know when the landscapers are working. Um, but truly like, uh, like there's some things that you can do to even block out noise. So like if you live alone, it probably is not quite as difficult, but if you live with kids or a spouse and they're trying to live their life around you, it's hard. So there's a couple things. Number one is getting a white noise app or just downloading the, like the free app, or I like a sound machine because it's not my phone. And so I can turn, I can turn my phone on like airplane mode and then turn the sound machine on and know know that it's not going to get interrupted. Um, because I had babies, I'm very well versed in sound machines. I think we went through like four of them. So some of them are crap. If you're going to buy a sound machine, buy a decent one. Um, I have a link on the, on the post, but buy just one that you know that actually works because that has to go on for me. I can't, it can't turn off in the middle of the day. It's got to stay on all day. So, um, find a good one. I have one that, uh, the one I like or the one I, I link to runs on batteries. So that's nice too. So if the power goes out, you still have your sound machine. Uh, number two is earplugs. And I find them to be, they're a little uncomfortable, but if there's a certain kind I like that squishes down and you shove in that doesn't have like a flat front, like I don't like the ones that look like cylinders. They've got to have some rounding to them and they have, I have like tiny little ear canals. So I, there's a specific kind that I really like. So find some earplugs that are comfortable, get a white noise app or find a machine, whatever works out for you. Um, those are the two things that can help cut that noise down. So just recapping, right? Sleep in a cold, dark, quiet place, getting it cold with the AC down and the fan on, getting that room dark, whatever means possible, and then getting cutting the noise down by either using white noise or earplugs. Those are like the big tips I have for this section of the post. Here's the thing. There's a couple other things you can do to make this work for you, Um, but they're more permanent solutions or kind of different solutions. And they're not really for the person who's working like one night shift um, in clinicals. This is for like the, I'm going to be working night shifts for a long time. And so I need to have a plan. So here's, here's a couple other tips, right? So some of the people I work with, and actually one of the docs I work with does this, she puts an air mattress in her closet. And I think that's genius because if you know anything about acoustics, the clothing in your closet is a really good, they absorb sound. So if you live in a house with screaming children, (laughs) like that's a way to kind of manage that. And it's dark usually and relatively cold. So she just puts an air mattress in there. Like, and I thought about that. I was like, if I had to do that, I could do that. I could put a rug down in the closet because I have wood floors. I'd put a rug down in the closet and then put an air mattress in there. And then you can blow it up when you need it and then put it down. And then that's a cold, dark place to sleep as long as nobody has to go in and out of that closet. So that's one tip that I thought was genius. Uh, the second one is if you have a guest room, obviously cave that out and make that your like, night shift pad. So if you're lucky enough to have an extra room in your house, make that kind of prioritize that as a night shift room. Um, and that can be really helpful if you are fortunate enough to be in that situation. Also, if you're fortunate enough to own an RV or camper that's at your house, you can use that to your advantage. Now I know how trashy that sounds. (laughs) I know I do, but I live on 10 acres. And so we have our camper kind of in a different spot and it's completely, you know, enclosed and it's dark. And so that's what we do. Um, It's not like fancy or anything, but it it works and you can block out the curtains with like uh, the windows with towels 
and curtain blackout curtains and it's really dark we kick the we have a power cord to it so we set it up to where it's actually really comfortable this is what works for us um i will tell you my husband and i both work night shifts and so in like we both work crazy shifts so sometimes we work nights sometimes we work days and this is what has saved our ability to like function because when one of us comes home from a night shift and the kids are home the other one can go and sleep in the camper and then that way the that you know we can we can be in the house with the kids and not feel like we're we're being too loud for the other parent so that has made a, a an amazing change for me so just from an investment standpoint it's like an extra bedroom that's you know and that's on our property, which is really nice. Um, and actually we put a full size mattress in there. It's su super comfortable. It's actually a queen size mattress and it's like pillow top. It's so good. <laughs> I love that bed. Uh, all right, so if you don't have an RV or camper, don't have property to do that, obviously that's not the case for most people. The other thing to consider, and this is another thing we did. Again, we live on property. I'm very, very lucky to have these opportunities, but we, I have an outbuilding, I have a, um, we call it the she shed, right? Uh, it's a, it's an, it's a, it's a decent sized building that we've enclosed and insulated and put drywall in and flooring in, and it's very comfortable. There's an air conditioning unit, you know, it's very comfortable. Uh, but we put a when we built it, we specifically built it with a loft that fits a queen size mattress, so that this building could. Because I'm actually in it recording this as we speak, which is why if you hear noise, that's why I'm at home. <laughs> uh, anyway, this building is set up with a loft that fits a mattress, and I would use a ladder, go up in the loft, and sleep for a period of time. And that was another way to. Um, to make night shifts work. You don't obviously need a big building, like even a smaller shed that just could fit a twin size air, air mattress would be fine if you can insulate it, you know, make sure it's like leak proof um, and then put air conditioning in it if you need that. That is another, you can even convert it into an office and then just when you're sleeping in it, just move the chair aside. So it doesn't have to be a really big outbuilding. It could be something smaller that's like within your code or regulations, depending on where you live. But that's another way to have a more permanent solution to night shifts. And it keeps you out of your house. So like I said, if you have a family, night shift is a very different experience than before you have a family. Because <laughs> let me tell you, kids are not quiet. Also, if you choose poorly and you get an outbuilding that leaks, uh, then your bed, then that doesn't work out. So just make sure if you're going to do that, make sure you hire somebody or you do the work where you like, we have vapor barrier in the outside the insulation to make sure that nothing leaks through here like this this building is like a fortress it's great but we were fortunate to have people that could help us with that so that yeah that's that that's like a really long topic but sleep in a cold dark quiet place that's one my other tip uh all right so here's we are we got two more right so the ninth tip is to consider melatonin so this is a tip a lot of I didn't know about it until probably a couple years ago, but it has been a total game changer for me. It really just helped me with a good night's sleep. Now, some people are not sensitive to it at all. It doesn't work for them and they, they may not like this. But for me, and some people are dose dependent too. Like I can't use higher doses. I found that lower doses work best for me. So I use usually three milligrams. Obviously, use what works for you. Um, you know, if you have any medical problems, you know, this is not medical advice. You obviously want to talk to a provider before you start taking anything over the counter, but I like three milligrams melatonin. That is what works for me. So on my, so I use it in a couple different ways. Um, I will, so when I come home from my night shift, I will go to bed 
and I will wake up usually around, I don't know, 2 or 3 p.m. And then that night, I will take it, take melatonin around 9 p.m. so that I don't have that weird 3 a.m. wake up. Because that's what happens when I don't take melatonin is that I'll go to bed fine because I'm usually tired. But then I wake up at like 3 a.m. and I'm wide awake. And that melatonin will get me through that period of time so that I then wake up at like 7 a.m. and I don't feel groggy and... The only side effect to melatonin for me is I have weird dreams. I feel like I'm probably in REM sleep more. I don't know. But other than that, I don't feel groggy. I feel awesome. So that's that's the one time. That's one aspect when I use melatonin. And then the other time is when I'm in the middle of a stretch of night shifts. And if I have a hard time going to sleep, I might take one during the day to make sure I rest. But I hardly ever do that. It's most always when I'm trying to turn around. Um, and I also will do it for the, the 24 and 48 hour mark after my night shift. So if I've come home on like a Tuesday, I go to sleep during the day, I wake up, have dinner, and then I will go to bed at 9 PM on that Tuesday night, uh, Wednesday night and Thursday night, I'll also use melatonin just to get me through. And that usually keeps me that, that will keep me, that will, that will usually (laughs) honestly keep me from flip-flopping back and waking up at 3 a.m. So on, so that was my ninth tip. And then the 10th tip is kind of a smattering of different topics, but it's all on the, on the tip of turning around with intention. And so these turnaround days are very overlooked. I find, um, especially if I just think that I'm going to go to sleep like I get, if I came home on a Tuesday, I sleep all day, I wake up, have dinner and go to bed at night. If I don't turn around with intention and like choose wisely, I am grumpy. And so these are just a couple of tips. So one is that I set an alarm that day. I make sure I stick to it. And if I wake up before it goes off, I don't go back to bed. I turn my alarm off and I'm just up for the day. I'd rather be tired and up earlier than my alarm goes off than, than not. Cause I find that if I don't set an alarm and I just try to wake up when I naturally feel like it. I sleep way late and then I have a hard time going to bed that night. Uh, don't try to be productive. So if I plan an activity, the like if I come home from a night shift, I sleep during the day and then I have a, pl- a planned activity that afternoon, it's usually a disaster. <laughs> it's usually like if I'm like, I'm going to make a four course meal. That is not good. That's not the time to do that. Uh, I really just specifically like, don't make any large life choices. Don't sign. Maybe I'll sign a contract, but if I have to put any mental effort into signing that contract, like I have to review the contract, that that is not the time to be like, you know, making any big choices or decisions. So uh, don't plan on being productive if you can help it. Um, I do drink a little bit of caffeine on the, on the day when I try to turn around. So turning around with intention also means dosing my caffeine properly. So like at three or four, usually actually like two o'clock, I'll start drinking a little bit of caffeine. It's usually not nearly the quantity I normally drink, but it keeps me from having like the caffeine withdrawal headache, right? So I'll drink a little bit of caffeine at like two o'clock, but then I usually cut it off by 4 p.m. just to make sure that I don't have any issues falling asleep. Um, I also try to make sure I hydrate extra. So I try to drink plenty of water during the day anyway, but then on when I'm recovering from a night shift, I try to drink lots of fluids because I'm going to sleep the day I come home from my night shift and then that night, probably seven, six, seven hours. So that's a lot of sleeping time in a 24-hour period of time. Hydrating is really important. Try to eat a filling dinner. Again, um, you know, whole grains, healthy fats, stuff like that, making sure that 
you know, if depending on what you've eaten the last 24 hours, if you don't eat a decent meal, then you tend to get up in the middle of the night because then you're hungry because you were eating dinner at 3 a.m. the day before. It's eating and night shifts is a very weird kind of situation. Uh, and then also continuing the melatonin, um, relaxing before bedtime. So if I'm trying to turn myself around, I'm really intentional not to watch some like really intense CAA conspiracy theory kind of movie or really sad drama or something that's like really emotionally taxing because I don't know, I just find I have a hard time falling asleep more so than normal. And it's probably related to night shifts. So I also try to not stay on my phone too late when I go to bed that evening and then waking up at a normal hour the following day is kind of my last little tip within this tip. Um, trying not to sleep really late the following morning, even though I usually want to, like I feel like I should sleep longer. I try not to, because that just prolongs the inevitable, which is that I'm going to have to flip back to a day shift. And so I find that waking up at a normal hour and not trying to change that hour is probably the most helpful. So yeah, this is like, 40 minutes of night shift talk. Uh, I hope it's been helpful. I hope, um, I hope some of this was really like applicable to what you guys are doing. Uh, if not, then I'm sorry, but if so, that's great. Like I would love to hear what you guys are doing to make your night shifts better. Um, if you like the format where I have a podcast and a blog post, let me know because uh, it, although it takes me a while to like get it together, I can actually, this is a good format for me to give to you. Cause I think it kind of hits all the ways that people like content. So that's it. That's my story. Um, I do want to throw out there a couple things just in general about empoweredps.com. So if you're still listening, thanks so much. First of all, um, Second, we have a newsletter. So if you just go to empoweredpace.com, the first little block is sign up for the newsletter. I try to send out a monthly newsletter. Um, many of you know that my my father almost passed from COVID-19 uh, in April. And so I believe I missed the month of April. <laughs> and so uh, life things happen. And so sometimes it's not every month, but I definitely, there's no spam. It's, I really try to just once a month and that's it. But it has a lot of, it really will update you on what the new articles are and kind of let you know what's going on with the, the website and what um, resources we have. If you don't know what's on the website, so it's kind of broken up into sections for pre-PAs, uh, PA students, and practicing PAs. For pre-PAs, we just kind of focus on the tools that pre-PAs could use. So like I have uh, a little bit on my PA box, which uh, I am an affiliate with them and I love that tool. It's a really great, powerful, powerful tool helping pre-PAs really kind of just prepare for PA, uh, applying to PA school. So like making sure that you're ready for the interview by um, selecting like selecting your PA program and then also going through all of your courses, knowing what your CASPA GPA is, and then you're logging your shadow hours, logging your patient care hours, all of that stuff is in one, one app. And so they're awesome. You can get 15% off with the Empowered PA's code. I have a link. Um, you don't have to use the link, but using the Empowered PA's code will support the website. But also I have a whole page talking about what my PA box is. So go check that out because it's, I think it's really helpful if you don't have any clue what that is because I didn't know about it either. There's also a really great pre-PA kickstart program 
um, th- with um, John Belinsky, who is a PA that educates PAs uh, by way of ge- um, getting us ready for CM, like giving us C- CMEs for courses and also getting us ready for our PANRI, which is our certifying test. So he's a really well known in the PA community. Well, he started doing a pre-PA program and that is also on the blog and the website. Um, and then also I have a pre-PA mentors and mentees group that's on the website. There's links there. And then for PA students, practicing PAs and pre-PAs, I have a whole series of a day in the life of a PA. And so there's like neurology, uh, primary care. Um, I have a whole bunch of different ones from that standpoint. I think plastic surgery, uh, interventional radiology is really interesting. So there's a lot of different uh, articles from that standpoint. So go check that out. PA students, uh, there's, and practicing PAs, there's a lot of resources on some of my favorite books for, uh, pediatrics, emergency medicine, um, neurology, neurosurgery, and primary care. And then practicing PAs, I love non-clinical roles for PAs. So if you have been practicing for a while and you're looking at something different, I have a whole bunch of articles on, um, and a whole section on non-clinical roles for PAs. There's actually an entire video on the site about non-clinical roles. It's like 45 minutes long. It's really long. But, um, I also have an entire article series, uh, for PAs who have been in leadership in one form or another, PAs who are entrepreneurs and own their own businesses, PAs who are in telemedicine. There's like a whole bunch of stuff. So the website is the place to go. If you want more information about how to be empowered as a PA, how to take control of your profession, how to grow as a professional, how to get engaged, be involved. Like there's just so much on on the site. So check it out. If you want to give me feedback, I love, I love feedback. Even if it's bad, even if it's constructive, please let me know what your thoughts are. If you want to see an article on a certain topic, please email me um, uh, info at empoweredpas.com. If you like podcasts and you want to hear more topics on the podcast, um, I'm glad to chat about all the things, uh, including pediatric emergency medicine. I think some people are interested in that. So anyway, hope you guys are well. That's what I have for you. I will talk to you later.